will bring out your best gift. So um, thank you, Chris, and everybody. That's so great. Yeah, thanks. Let's do that. So as you can tell, since we're still in family-style groups, we are still in our Advent series of connections. And one of the first announcements I'll have to make is that you can sure scoot your chair now because you're not going to have to talk to those people at your table until at the end. So you don't have to be like wrenching your neck over to be able to look forward or to see the screens. So connections, connections with one another, of course, connections with the scripture passage and with a Christmas character and connections always with God. Advent is this season that invites us to consider the character of the Christian existence between the times. On one hand, Advent reminds us how God promises to Israel Emmanuel. God comes in human flesh to deliver God's people from sin and evil. On the other hand, God, Advent calls us to anticipate the day when Jesus comes back as King of King, Lord of Lords, Emmanuel with us again. In the meantime, we are living in between. We give thanks to God for the Christ child who was born, and we so look forward to his coming again. On the first Sunday in Advent, we lit the hope candle. We learn that when we live in the hope of a God who shows up in our darkest hour through us, between us, and in spite of us, and we acknowledge that death and darkness don't have the final word, we can then believe the angels who say to us, do not be afraid, and we can join their heavenly and sometimes broken hallelujahs. On the second Sunday, just last week, have you guys covered a lot of ground from last week to now? Whew. This is that breathing time again. Just last week, we let, lit the peace candle. We learned that like the shepherds, Christ was born for all of us who may feel rejected, abandoned, and unworthy. We are called to set down our sack that weighs heavy on us so that we can return to the Lord with all our heart and we can experience a peace that passes all understanding, and it helps us to embrace life as a gift. Today, we got to light, oh, wow, we got to light the pink, we got to light the pink <laughs> joy candle. Oh, no, this was not very smart, because if this thing falls over, will someone, you got a quick first step? You can run up here if this thing falls over. Nice. The pink, pink, now I don't know where I am, candle of joy. So I want to hover around the warmth of joy just for a few minutes. You know, there's always this debate between joy and happiness. So I want to show you two really short clips of a happy dance. And as you watch them, I think that one of them is an extreme example of joy and one of them is an example, oh, there's our shepherd, there's our joy. And one of them is an example of happy. Here we go.
To me, the Snoopy dance is really the joyful dance because Snoopy keeps dancing even after the music stops. It's like the joy is coming up from within him. I've heard that happiness is often tied to circumstances like a good marriage, a rewarding job, decent kids, and a pleasant vacation. Happiness is tied to feelings and it's often expressed in visible ways like a happy dance. John Piper writes, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, but it's a good feeling. You see, God created us both with minds and with hearts, with emotions to be able to feel. So for example, say you are going camping and you wake up and there's this gigantic silhouette of a bear outside of your tent, a grizzly bear who seems hungry. You don't say, now let me think about this. There's a bear, bears are big, bears are dangerous, this bear is hungry. Conclusion, I should feel fear here so I will decide to be afraid. Emotions don't work like that. Thinking works like that, but feelings don't. Feelings happen to you, which means that the Bible is filled with commands that we do things that are immediately outside of our control to do. Commands to rejoice, to fear, to be grateful, to be tenderhearted. The Holy Spirit does the work, not magically, though, without our minds being engaged, but by causing us to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit inspired the word, the Holy Scriptures, so that we could read the word and know Christ. The Spirit gives us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus that call up that joy out of our hearts. But it's not just in the word that we see Christ. We see him in his gifts and in his people. We see him in the gifts of nature, we see him in the gifts of food and in all the things that our Father in heaven will give us so that we can know him. Every gift of Christ to us is intended to communicate something of himself. So we see not only Christ, 
And we taste not only Christ in his word, but also in his works. So if we are experiencing Christ, we are experiencing joy. And honestly, I think that as Christians, people ought to be able to see our joy. Sometimes I think that could be our strongest witness to the world. Max Lucado calls it courageous joy, not contingent joy. Contingent joy says, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if. I'll be happy when I have a new house, or a new spouse, or I'll be happy when I'm healed, or when I'm home. Envision the person who buys that lie about contingent joy. As a young person, they assume, if I get that new car, I'll be happy. They get the car, but the car wears out. They look for joy somewhere else. If I get married, I'll be happy. Sorry about that. So they get married, but there's work and disappointment in that because a spouse can't deliver the kind of joy day in and day out that we get from Christ. This goes on attempt after attempt. If I get the new job, if I can retire, if only we had a baby. And in each case, joy comes and then diminishes. By the time this person reaches old age, he has ridden a roller coaster of hope and disappointment. He becomes sour and fearful. Contingent joy turns us into wounded people. Courageous joy, however, turns us into strong people. Courageous joy sets the heart, the hope of the heart, on Jesus and Jesus alone. Since no one can take our Christ no one can take our joy. Think about it just for a minute. Can death take your joy? No, because Jesus is greater than death. Can failure take your joy? Nope, Jesus is greater than your sin. Can betrayal take your joy? No, because Jesus will never, ever leave you. Can sickness take your joy? No, because God has promised, whether on this side of the grave or the other, God will heal us. Can disappointment take your joy? No, because though our plan may not work out, we know that God's plan will. Death, failure, betrayal, sickness, disappointment, they cannot take our joy because they can't take our Jesus. And Jesus promised, no one will take away your joy. Is that to say that your life will be storm-free? Is that to say that no sorrows will come your way? No, in this world, you will have tribulation, says Jesus, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Is that to say that we will never cross over into the dry lands of sorrow? No, but that is to say your sorrow will not last forever. Your grief will turn to joy. Imagine a houseboat that is docked on a river that leads to an ocean. The level of the river would rise and fall with the tide. The boat rocks back and forth as the river traffic goes by. Will the moods come and go? Absolutely. Will the boat rock? Yes, of course, but will they be left adrift out into the Atlantic? No way, because they found a joy which remains courageous through the storm. 
You know what happened? They're anchored to the seawall. So the boat, up and down, back and forth, never ever gets out to sea because of that anchor to the seawall. There's a man named Jerry who has courageous joy. He's 78 years old and he regularly shoots his age on the golf course. Now that may make him happy, but that's not the anchor of his joy. His sweet wife, Ginger, battles Parkinson's disease. So what should have been this wonderful season of retirement for them has been marred with multiple hospital stays, medication, and really a very heavy struggle. There are many days that Ginger can't even keep her balance and he has to be right by her side all day long. Yet Jerry never complains. He always has a smile. He always has a joke. So what's his secret? He said that every morning, Ginger and I get up, we sit there together, and we sing a hymn. And I ask her, well, what hymn do you want to sing? And she says, count your many blessings. So they sing. And when they get to the line that says, name them one by one, they stop singing, and they name their blessings one by one. And when they're through, they realize the truth of all of those many, many blessings. And it does so much more to relieve her pain and to relieve his anxiety than any of the medications ever could do. You see, his joy is anchored in a God of goodness who gives blessings and all good things. So, we're done with our little joy part of the pink candle but it really speaks to my heart, so I would love to invite Jacob to come forward to read our scripture passage for today. It comes from Isaiah 61, and we're reading um, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 10. These things might come in handy. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adores herself with her jewels. Thank you. <clears throat> Let us pray. Gracious God, prepare our hearts and our minds for the deep joy that comes only from you through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is both here and yet to come. Amen. So this passage from Isaiah, those first two verses, are actually the very first recorded sermon for Jesus. It's found in Luke 4. Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he unrolled it. He read what Jacob had just read for us. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now this text from Isaiah comes from a collection of prophecies that were made during the Babylonian exile. So the Babylonians had come and destroyed Jerusalem. They're all scattered and living out 
um, away from their hometown. The temple has been destroyed. And now the Persians have defeated the Babylonians. And the Persian king says, all right, you guys, you can all go home now. So many did. They went back to Jerusalem. But what they found was that their city was just in ruins and that they were being ruled by some puppet king. The, the exiles that returned were frustrated and humiliated over the failure that they had to rebuild the city and the temple to match its former glory days of when they were taken away. The reality of life in Jerusalem was nothing like the expectations that they had. There is a gap. The devastation that they felt and that they suffered for, ironically, can create this new pathway to joy in the Lord. Suffering has a way of turning us back to God, doesn't it? Maybe it's because we have a much clearer view. If you've ever been knocked flat on your back, all you can do is see God and hear God. And sometimes it takes that, I'm afraid, for him to get our attention. But we do know that God can use and redeem us through our pain and suffering. And that ultimately helps us live into courageous joy. God promises healing, wholeness, and abundant, everlasting life. Really, it's based on this promise and this relationship that we have with God that we can even muster up the courage to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come in spite of our circumstances. So Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon him to bring good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to release the prisoners. But remember that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit is sent to each one of us as well. So what would happen if we read this passage as if it's our responsibility as followers of Christ, as partners in this broken world? So... Let's read this together, and when you do, really focus on that word, me, that's highlighted. So let's read it together. The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners, God sent me to announce the year of his grace. That was from the message version, which I liked some of the words from. So we know also that the Spirit of God came to Joseph, our Christmas character of the week. Joseph had learned that Mary was pregnant, and he knew that he wasn't the father. Imagine Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So betrothal back in Bible times or in first century Palestine occurred when a young woman around the age of 12, and the young man was just a little bit older than that. So there was a contract between his house and her house, and the formal marriage then would take place about a year later. During that year, they never um, were in contact with each other. They were all each at their own house. So there's no way that these two had slept together. It's probably pretty safe to assume that they were never even alone together. And in Matthew, we read, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, 
planned to dismiss her quietly. Joseph's righteousness is a real blessing in this case. As a righteous man, Joseph had in his character to treat others with mercy and to do the right thing for another human being. To divorce Mary quietly and to not demand a public trial where she could have been found guilty of adultery and quite possibly stoned to death. He planned to do the merciful thing and just quietly let her go. But the spirit came to Joseph in a dream and said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the Holy Family stays together because of Joseph's character and the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. Now this takes some kind of courage and trust, even for a man like Joseph. A man in a patriarchal society most likely would not stand by a woman who was pregnant with somebody else's baby, even if it was the Holy Spirit. Yet this quiet, humble man was just like those Israelites who were returning home to Jerusalem. The reality of his life was nothing like what he expected. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Joseph and the Spirit anointed him to bring good news to the oppressed. For unto us a Savior will be born. And somehow, God got through him to his deepest level. And Joseph knew that he could lean into the joy of being connected to God in a meaningful way with a purpose that was so much bigger than he is. Bob Goff has a chapter in his book, Love Does, called Lose the Cape. And, you know, I think Joseph shows us best what this looks like. You know that all superheroes wear capes, right? At least the best ones. Well, Joseph reminds us of the kind of person who is just secretly incredible, quietly doing the right thing, the merciful thing. So rather than wearing the cape for everyone to see, what if we had the mission statement on our T-shirt underneath the clothes we wear, and it says, be awesome. And when I say awesome, I mean be loving, kind, and joy-filled. Be awesome like Joseph in quietly doing the right thing. God loves the humble ones, you know. And they may not make the first round draft pick for the big jobs with the big titles, but they always seem to be a first round choice for God when he's looking for something to be done in a big way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This text from Isaiah was the theme for our mission trip to Nicaragua in 2013. We were sent to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captive, and release to the prisoners. Ironically, as we went out to do these things, it ended up being us, the North Americans who were healed and set free by the good news. God's sneaky like that. When we open ourselves up to the spirit and we leave our cape in the drawer, we put on our be awesome undershirt, wouldn't you know, just as soon as we try to be kind, loving, and merciful to all those around us, the joy comes flooding back into our life. 
friends, anchor your life to the courageous joy that we meet in the humble manger. Let's pray. Merciful God, we thank you for giving us the path to joy through your Son, who was humbly born in a manger. Send your Spirit, O Lord, so we might share your love and your light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.